Well, we know, we know, we know that you are a man of integrity and that you teach in the way of God in accordance with the truth. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are. The Pharisees knew this much and because they knew this much, knew that Jesus wouldn't be swayed by statute or standing, they said, we'll send our disciples to confront Jesus instead of going to him ourselves. Oh yes, we know that you are a man of integrity, they say, but did they? Did they know that he was a man of integrity? Or did they believe instead that Jesus was a man whose integrity could be undermined in the eyes and ears of anyone listening with a few clever and well-crafted questions? We know you're a man of integrity. And of course, whether they knew it or not, we know it. We know that Jesus was a person of integrity, but do we know what it means to be a person of integrity? What does it mean? What do you think it means to be a person of integrity? What do you think it means to be a person of integrity? Just a few sentences. Honest. Honest. Trustworthy. Do what you say you will do. The same in public and in private. That's good. Anybody else? Loyal. Loyal. And I've liked the word congruence more recently. The dictionary defines integrity like this. Adherence to moral principles or honesty. The quality of being unimpaired or soundness. Unity or wholeness. And so we know Jesus is a model of integrity and the disciples of the Pharisees announced so much. And they did this because they intended to undermine it. But instead, what happened was they revealed his integrity in ways obvious to us and in ways many of us may not automatically associate with integrity. We know you teach in a way that is in accordance with the truth and are not swayed from that truth by people no matter who they are. We know you're a person of integrity. And then Jesus shows he's a person of integrity in the only way he can, in the only way that true integrity is ever really revealed. Navy SEALs have a saying, maybe you've heard it before. No one ever rises to a challenge... But instead, we all fall to the level of our training. No one ever rises to a challenge, but instead we all fall to the level of our training. In other words, when we are truly tested, when we are truly challenged, when the pressure is on, when our true character, that's when our true character is revealed. 
That's when our true ability, our true strength, our true self is fully revealed. We saw something like this happen a couple of games ago with Patrick Mahomes, right? He didn't play through injury and show that he was a person of tenacity trying to get back onto the field because he was in a moment when he was injured. That's not what caused him to rise to the occasion. He didn't rise to the occasion because there was struggle, but he fell to the level of his, maybe his character, who he was. No one ever rises to a challenge, but instead we fall to the level of who we are. So is Jesus a person of integrity? Is Jesus truly moral? Is Jesus truly honest? Is Jesus truly unimpaired? Is Jesus truly, wholly, completely who he seems to be, or is he not? Inquiring minds want to know. And if we're among them, we're in luck. Because Matthew offers us just the story to make that happen. Now, it's probably a little bit too simplistic to say there are only two kinds of people in this story. There are surely more than two kinds of people in this story between Jesus and his disciples and the Pharisees and their disciples and the onlookers and the listeners and Sadducees were probably there. I'm sure there were all kinds of people who were around Jesus in the context of this story. But only two are named. Jesus is named as a person of integrity. And the Pharisees and the disciples are named as persons of malice. Person of integrity and persons of malice. So what happens when malice confronts integrity with the intent to undermine it? What happens when malice confronts integrity with the intent to undermine it? Now, it's, it's difficult to distill this down into one response. I'm sure there are many. So let's just name what the disciples of the Pharisees wanted to happen. And in comparison to that, what actually happened. Let's just look at that. Because what, what they wanted to happen, what the Pharisees wanted to happen, is that they wanted Jesus to fold. The, the Pharisees wanted Jesus to falter. The Pharisees wanted Jesus to get caught up in one of two foolish responses because they thought there were only two responses that could be possible. And if he offered one of them, then they could cry foul and expose Jesus as a phony, a fake, and a fraud. And if Jesus hadn't been a person of the highest integrity who is full of truth, not swayed by people, no matter who they are, this is what might have happened in that moment. They might have caught him. But instead, what we get to see here in this story is what happens when a truly healthy and whole, integrated, congruent person gets confronted with something like this. What happens when malice confronts integrity? Integrity confronts it right back. And this is not what we often imagine. Now, we sometimes, we think of Jesus, and in a good way, we think of Jesus as being soft, you know. Buddy Jesus, hippie Jesus, that kind of thing. Soft. Because we know that, and we mean this in a good way, Jesus loves everybody. We, we mean that in the best possible way. And because we know Jesus loves everybody, if we're pressed, we would say we also know that Jesus loves these Pharisees and their disciples. And we, we, we know that because he loves them, he would never really confront them, right? 
Does confrontation happen in response to love? That's what we see here. What we see here is Jesus assessing them, honestly calling them on their stuff, and ultimately exposing them for the disciples of malice that they really are. What happens when malice confronts integrity? Integrity confronts it right back. And as it does, the truth is usually, eventually, it usually eventually has a way of coming out, right? We see this. The truth usually has a way, eventually, of coming out. The Pharisees and their disciples in this moment seem to be operating in a certain form of malice. That's what we're told. And they seem, for a number of reasons, to have come into Jesus' life only to divide and destroy him and his ministry. And their specific intent here and elsewhere is to use their malice to reveal a crack in Jesus' integrity. You ever been in a situation like that where someone was using their malice to try to reveal a crack in someone else's integrity? That's what they were trying to do. But instead, what happened? Instead of their malice revealing his lack of integrity, his, his abundance of integrity revealed their malice. What happens when malice confronts integrity? Integrity confronts it right back. And how did this happen here? What do we see? Well, standing in the temple area with everyone watching in a very public place, they attempt to put Jesus in a double bind. You know what a double bind is? A double bind is when there's no right answer. You're going to get, you're going to get in trouble anyway. They think they have, uh, they have approached Jesus with a genius scenario. They're going to double bind him. They're going to get him in trouble no matter how he answers. And so they ask him this question. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar? Now, this is one of the big questions of their day that was troublesome to Jewish people for a couple of different reasons. First of all, we should note that this is not a question about Roman law. This is not a question about whether or not it is lawful in the government of Rome to pay taxes to Caesar. That's not what this is about. It's, it's not like he's being asked, is it lawful to pay taxes to the U.S. government? We know that paying taxes to the government is lawful, but is it biblical? That's what they're asking. That's the kind of question they're asking, and both Romans and Jewish people would have a vested interest in this very public leader's public answer to that question. Right? So, because for Jewish people, of course, taxation was a form of impression. It was a way that the Roman government used to oppress the people that they had conquered. For instance, imagine what you would feel like if you woke up one morning and discovered in your very home, right here, that people from the other side of the world had marched into our country and demanded that we pay a tax as a reward for them stealing our land. Can you imagine something like that happening? We wouldn't like that, would we? I don't think. We might, we might fight back against that. We might riot. We might join a revolution, and that is exactly the sort of thing that would happen here. 
In fact, one of the most famous Jewish leaders when Jesus was a boy was a man named Judas who had led a revolt for exactly that reason. And when he did, the Romans crushed it mercilessly, leaving crosses with people on them strewn all across the countryside with dead and dying revolutionaries on them as a warning to the people that paying taxes was not optional. So here's the point. Tell people not to pay taxes to the government in Jesus' day, and you might end up on a cross. That's, the, that's definitely the point the Pharisees are trying to nail home here anyway. And though we know where Jesus is going, ultimately... He intends to go there on his own way and in his own way. People of integrity have this inner compass that is good and true, and they're not pushed around by others, but they go their own good and true way, no matter the consequences. But here's the other problem, other side of the bind. If Jesus says to pay taxes outright, that's also going to get him in trouble because Jesus is leading a kingdom of God, not a kingdom of Caesar revolution here. These people are hoping that he will be the kind of king for them that Caesar will not be. And he knows that affirmation of taxation, in this instance, is an affirmation of loyalty to Caesar. In fact, for many Jewish revolutionaries, and listen to this, this is very important to understanding what was happening in these movements in this passage. For many Jewish revolutionaries, even having the coin that you would need to pay the taxes on your person served as a symbol that you were complicit in an oppressive system that you were either passively or actively affirming. So now get that. Many Jewish revolutionaries, the kinds of people who have been sitting in the crowd listening to Jesus, would have believed that if you had the kind of coin on your person used to pay the tax, that that in and of itself was a sign that you were complicit in an oppressive system. We got to know that so that we can see the genius of what Jesus did next. Show me a coin that might be used to pay the tax. Did you catch that? He didn't have one. If you had one on your person, it might be a symbol that you were complicit either passively or actively in a system of oppression that was using to oppress these people. You, show me a coin that might be used to pay the tax. He said, see what he did? He answered some of the questions without actually even answering the question. He revealed the level of their integrity and his integrity in one fail swoop, and he did it by asking for a coin. I got to hold one of these coins when I was in Israel last summer. They had it locked behind a case, but the person trusted me enough, I guess, to pull it out and I actually put a picture of this on Instagram of me holding this particular kind of coin. I would have had to pay thousands of dollars to bring it back here, uh, so I didn't do that. But I did get to hold this coin in my hand. And if Jesus had had one of those coins in his hand, it would have served as a symbol for some that he was complicit in a Roman system of oppression. But guess what? He didn't have it. He didn't have it, but when he asked for it, they produced it immediately. He didn't have it, but they did. Didn't even think about it. Show me a coin. Here it is. You see what he did there? Genius. 
And he doesn't stop there because he's leading them. See, they, they thought they were leading him somewhere that he didn't want to go, but instead he was leading them somewhere that they didn't want to go. So then Jesus asks, next question, whose image is on the coin? It wasn't God's image, of course. And the Jewish people wouldn't have wanted it to be God's image because the image of God on a coin would be a graven image. And have you read the Ten Commandments? That would have been a grave offense. And this was actually part of the problem. In Jesus' day, that coin that I held in my hand that they were holding in their hand had the image of Tiberius Caesar on it. The inscription on one side read, Tiberius Caesar, son of the divine Augustus, implying that he was at least partially divine, a son of God. On the other side of the coin, the inscription read, Pontifex Maximus, which meant that Caesar was the high priest, the highest religious figure in the land. To carry one of these coins on your person and to pay taxes with one of these coins was a tribute and a recognition of the claims of the authority that were on the coin. That's what some of the listeners would have said. Now Jesus doesn't even have the coin, which implies something about his answer. But he also doesn't seem to have a problem at all with paying taxes to the government, right? Now the issue Jesus is concerned with here is much deeper, and it is implied in the question itself. It's a question of integrity. A question from a person of integrity that is questioning these people's integrity. What's the question? Whose image is on the coin? Whose image is on the coin? Caesar's. Oh, okay. So then give back to Caesar what is Caesar's. And give to God what is God's. Give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and give back to God what belongs to God. What is God's? What is Jesus inviting them to give back to God? What is God's? Well, Caesar's image is on the coin, but where is God's image? Caesar's image is on the coin, but God's image is on you. So give back to Caesar what is Caesar's, and give back to God what is God, because that is what a person of faith who is also a person of the utmost integrity will do. Give what is God's back to God's, which means everything. 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 And so I wonder today, in the midst of Jesus' questioning, do you have the courage to do that? To give back to God in your own life what is God's? And to give all of it. The song we're about to sing implies, as we sing it, that we do. But I wonder, as we do sing it, do we actually believe it? We worship together.